guess moving on from that, right? Like apart from community and student life in uh, WashU, how is the kind of academic rigor like, or like you know the types of courses that you're choosing, like how how was the experience like for you? Okay, I think for WashU it's actually very complicated. Yeah, to talk about whether the courses are rigorous. Okay, I think the thing with like U.S. private university is that uh. They they really emphasize that they place place a lot of emphasis on personal agency, on like how much you want to like do for your academics. Mm-hmm. So at WashU there are courses that are like super easy, like you you get MCQ questions like for almost all your exams. Yeah. Yeah. But there are also courses that are like super super hard. Yeah, that really challenge you intellectually to the point that your brain just you know <laughs> cannot cannot operate on a higher order anymore yeah so i personally appreciate this style of learning yeah because you get to make mm-hmm. a lot of choice like how you want to study and also how you want to manage your time yeah mm-hmm. so for example during the semesters that i'm like super busy like for example if i have an external competition or if i have an external like thing to do yeah i will choose courses that are relatively easier in the sense that I spend less time and brain power and thinking about them and then during mm-hmm. the semesters that I'm like fully ready to just immerse in academics yeah I will choose courses that requires a lot of like quiet time to study yeah to think mm-hmm. yeah so I really enjoy this flexibility and I also like like the fact that everyone around me are very motivated learners yeah mm-hmm. I think in Singapore I actually didn't get such a strong sense of this like independent learning yeah because there's mm-hmm. you know, like so many deadlines so much things to do in jc yeah everyone like has to work hard yeah otherwise otherwise you are like you'll get s you'll get w for your exams yeah so for the us they don't really have that like no one will you know go after you for not being able to do well in exam yeah a lot of things like you have to take control yeah of your own life mm-hmm. and the, the grades that you want to obtain yeah so i realized that to my american peers like contrary to popular belief, they are actually very impressive learners. Mm-hmm. Like they really plan their time very well because they genuinely want to, and not because they have a deadline in front of them. And they are very, uh, how say, disciplined in the sense that if they are really interested to uh, perhaps find out about a certain academic topic, they will really do the readings diligently, yeah, without anyone like watching after them. Yeah, I think this point is actually interesting because I realized that the Asian students, like who come from the very exam-driven system, they tend to like trash out Tongming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they tend to like just you know like play smart. Yeah, like this reading is not tested anyway. I will not read it. <laughs> I mean, the the end result that everyone gets is definitely the same. Yeah, because Asian students are definitely exam smart, but the kind of learning you get out of the, out of it is very different because. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the local students, like the American students who actually does all the reading, they will be actually gaining more from that course than maybe an Asian student who's just focused on the exam. Well, definitely this is not a racial stereotype making, but I think that the kind of choice you make uh, definitely affects your college experience a lot. And I personally, I think I'm somewhere in the middle in the sense that like sometimes I just don't feel like doing all the reading because I know that like I can get a decent score without reading them or when sometimes I'm like super busy. So I need to be like very goal-driven instead of process-driven. But I don't want to get into the habit of like doing that. Yeah, because learning is important and we are in college. 
for the very point of learning. Yeah, mm -hmm. so having a balance is good, I think. That is very true. That is very true. And um, actually, now that you talk about the exam system, right, it's so true because I guess in Singapore, we're just so used to the fact that, you know, everything is just at, at the end of the day about our grades. But I guess in the US system, it's, um, it's more passion driven, I guess, if, if that's the right word. Like, well, yeah, I just think that it's more like independent, like independent learning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, again, I think passion is very arbitrary and hard mm. to quantify. Yeah, like we, we don't know, like even for like a very enthusiastic US student, I don't know how much of it is like passion and how much of mm. it is just discipline, and just being driven to do something. Yeah, so again, I think there's no need to feel self-conscious that you are not passionate about anything. <laughs> yeah, in mm. fact, that, a lot of people true. are. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, a lot of people are like that. And I think that sometimes in like this Asian culture, we tend to misunderstand what the Western education system is like. I think for Singapore, it's still relatively okay because Singapore is very international. Yeah, mm -hmm. but for a lot of the Chinese parents that I interact with, they tend to like, they tend to like over glorify or they fantasize that the Western education is about, like it's about passion, it's about holistic <laughs> learning. And they ignore mm -hmm. like, all the fundamental things that are actually very like uh, very similar to like like the education in Asia like for example you simply do not pass a test if you did if you do not understand like this this subject or this topic well like if you don't do your reading then of course you're not gonna know what's happening yeah so I think mm -hmm. like self-discipline and also structured learning is still very important in the so-called Western education system. Yeah, it's impossible mm -hmm. to like overlook this point just for like passion and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I also think that like the very, like the very notion of this like, passion or whatever is actually misleading. <laughs> yeah, because mm -hmm. a lot of students when they look at the US professor, of course they tend to be like humorous. They don't really follow the book when they're giving a lecture, but the examination still expect you <laughs> to know like the yeah. structure. Yeah, so don't fall into that trap of like, oh, my professor is like talking about anything under the sun in the class. So I shall just, you know, have a very scattered brain for the subject. Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I see, I see. So actually, now that we've talked so much about the, the education part of the university life, right, we can move on to something that is, um, I guess, more related to student organizations because you know you you did mention that you know um on some semesters where you had more external commitments you choose you chose like um i guess slightly easier courses or like slightly lesser like fewer courses so what sort of student organizations are you involved in on campus okay um i actually involved in a few yeah so mm. the main one i'm involved in is uh washu china forum yeah, it's actually a new organization that I founded together with my peers. Yeah, so I think time commitment for that is around like five to 10 hours per week, which is quite a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so apart yeah. from China Forum, also in the History Honor Society, which is basically like an academic club that, that focuses on history. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I'm also in a, a certain sports and game clubs. Yeah, and also the pop orchestra. But I think the, again, the US universities are very flexible about like the club memberships. It's not like in Singapore JC, like if you're in a CCA, you have to go to CCA every week, like 
two times mm-hmm. for four years straight away. For the US, it's really like how much you can commit, how you manage your own time. Yeah, so for example, I don't have a lot of time for like a pop orchestra every semester. Yeah, so I simply choose like when I want to go. And if the club like has a concert that uh, they have to do for this semester, I will consider whether I can, I have enough time for that. And if I do, I will join in that initiative. Otherwise, I will just not you know, join that semester. Yeah, so I think I really appreciate the flexibility of it because it teaches you to be like a, a true adult that you have to plan your time. It's not by like CCA hours, you listen to your instructor, you listen to your CCA president. There's really no one tell, like there's no one to tell you what you should do. Yeah, for each like club and society. Yeah, so I think this culture is actually very different from Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that I can elaborate a bit more on China Forum because it's yeah, a sure. very new organization. So that is, again, even more different yeah, from the, like, the CCA experience in Singapore. Mm-hmm. In Singapore, most of the CCA like, are pre-designed for you already. You can't really start a new one <laughs> yeah, unless you're in the yeah. new JC. Right? Even for my new JC, like, we have to follow like, a lot of protocols, a lot of standards in order to open a new CCA. So there's actually very little room for like, creativity or like mm-hmm. personal or just personal voice. Uh, yeah, so in the US, the school is really like hands off Yeah, for the club and societies. There's no structure, mm-hmm. there's no like precedent that you have to listen to. In fact, you can design the own leadership hierarchy yourself. So I think this is actually closer to an experience of doing a startup in the real world because mm-hmm. there are simply no rules for doing that. However, you have to observe like the norms, the existing norms, and fit yourself into this like macro environment in order to thrive. Yeah, so I think that this is actually a more realistic and more useful practice than like an ordinary CCA setting because you actually like pick up a lot of real skills that are coming handy in the future. And this also applies for like non-startup CCA, like non-startup clubs. Yeah, like if you join mm-hmm. an existing club, in order to run that club, you also have to, you know, have that kind of mind, have the awareness of how to orientate the club and also understanding of this so-called uh, my, macro climate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can give a more specific example. Like in the U.S. colleges, you realize that there's a lot of like weird organization. Yeah, like, um, let me think of a one, like baking club and things like that. Oh I mean, God, yeah. it sounds easy to run those clubs, but actually it's not. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things like you have to think about on your own, especially if you become like a, if you are in a leadership position. Yeah, so if you go to U.S. university, definitely take up a lot of commitments because I think it will definitely help you in the long run. And also, like, don't be afraid if you don't see any rules or structure yeah, in the kind of work that you need to do because that is the very practice that is lacking mm-hmm. in Singapore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So actually, now that you talked so much about, you know, kind of like the startup vibe that you get from, from student organizations and, like, I guess embracing that uncertainty and um, kind of driving your organization forward, right? I think one other thing that um, I would really like to dig your brain about, right, is um, how was the process like to start a club in WashU? Like, you know, what what was the, like, do you, like, who do you have to go through? Um, was the process difficult? How, how, how did you, you know, um, find the first batch of students to join your clubs? And how do you, like, kind of, kickstart everything right 
Yeah, I think starting an organization in U.S. college is definitely much easier than Singapore, because Singapore, I think they they do tends to be very rule based, and they are not exactly receptive to like very risky or new things. Yeah, which is like totally valid. I think. Yeah. So for China Forum in particular, we wanted the the club to be something like a you know just a academic club where there's a lot of you know exchanges between scholars and students on the works relating to China. So for Washu itself, we don't actually we don't actually have a lot of China resources. Yeah, like we are not like Colombia where they have a China Institute. So a lot of the connections we have to、uh, make it. We have to make those connections on our own. So I think at first we were less concerned about establishing ourselves as a school club than you know establishing real connections that actually serves our cause. I mean that sounds confusing, but to give you an example, so when we started, we tried to reach out、uh, East Asia Studies professors, yeah, from both Washu's and from other colleges. Yeah, we reach out to the think tanks.、Uh, we re- reach out to their China experts to kind of just connect with us. And also to be our be our guest as、uh, at lectures.、Mm-hmm. This process itself is actually divorced, real like from the from the school process of you no know, like becoming a club. I mean, becoming a club is more like just the bureaucratic side of things that you want、mm-hmm. to get organized,、uh, get recognized. So I think in Singapore, a lot of emphasis is placed on the bureaucratic part. Yeah, like whether you qualify as a CCA, who you should talk to, what、uh, the standard you should meet. Yeah, so a lot of times we are so bogged down by the bureaucracy that we actually gets less focused on the goal itself. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, in the real startup, I mean, it's definitely very complicated because, uh, oftentimes you don't have a lot of bureaucracy to follow. Yeah, and you need、mm-hmm. to be very goal driven because if you don't, then you cannot profit and you die. So for China Forum is also the same. Because our school actually have other like this kind of China related club who went through the bureaucratic process, but the clubs are no longer active, because they do not have like the funding, the speakers, and everything else,、mm-hmm. like the real substance of it.、Mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely like a tricky, a very tricky game to balance between the real part and also the bureaucratic part. Yeah,、mm-hmm. but we're lucky in the sense that、uh, we managed to get like. Uh, very good connections who not just you know attend our events but also help us like financially and also we realized that our school actually have resources that supported like China studies even though we do do not have a China institute so we actually now officially receive funding from the McDonald's Scholars Academy yeah I think it's、wow. something that、uh, the juniors、mm. can check out also yeah so basically U.S. colleges they they have like all sorts of institutes and they offer Very unique opportunities. So, so I think no matter if you're a high school student now or if you're an undergrad, go check out these opportunities. Yeah, it will definitely come out、uh, coming handy one day. Is、yeah, so、going back to China Forum. Uh, yeah, we were fund founded by them, uh, funded by them, and we managed to get a lot of high profile speakers. Uh, like Professor、mm-hmm. Wang Gengwu from NUS. Um, yeah. So Thomas Wright from Brookings Institution, so on and so forth.、Wow. Yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, definitely. That was that was a great answer. So, you know, I guess what you know, I I think you mentioned something that is really、uh, interesting, which is that, I guess a lot of the times you're running a student club is similar to a startup. You need to get the traction. You need to get the funding. It's more about you know 
getting that start first before you know considering about you know a lot of the bureaucratic processes like, it's more of like the just do it attitude you know that is yeah. um, really i guess um, important to drive like a new like whether it's a new startup or a new um, student organization so actually since we, we are talking about something on the lines of like startups and you know starting a student organization um maybe we can kind of transition to talking about a little bit about your career choices like from like ever since you started university because you know I've looked through your LinkedIn and wow you have like so many different internships from like so many different like industries like one in VC one in tech and finance one with like one plus as a as a product management intern one as a legal intern so like you know firstly like why these industries and secondly like how do you get into those industries for example like legal versus like tech and finance that's like such a huge leap right like okay just guide us through that okay i think first i think it's important to note that in singapore we tend to put ourselves into boxes because Mm -hmm. everything is very clear-cut like for example if you study law in singapore then of course you are becoming a lawyer what like duh yeah but Mm -hmm. like in any other country is more complicated than that. Yeah. yeah, like for example, in the US, they do not even have an undergrad degree for law. Yeah, you have to pursue a JD. And for people who pursue a JD, they actually come from all walks of life. Mm-hmm. There are even people who are like 40, yeah, who has worked as like project managers in the past. And one day they go to law school to, to study law. And in China, like you don't become a lawyer straight away just by studying undergraduate like legal degree. Yeah, mm-hmm. you have to take like several different bar exams not really bar exam, but equivalence of bar exam. And there's like different tracks of like kind of law. Yeah, like if you want to become like a legal civil servant, you have to go to an uh, alternative route. Yeah, so basically everywhere else is much more complicated than Singapore. And people mm-hmm. tend to have a you know, diverse range of experience before they settle uh, into something. So mm-hmm. going back to my own experience, during the gap year that I did, yeah, so it's like after JC, after I received like offer from university, and yet I still have like some time before school starts. Uh, I was in China and at that time it was hard to find internship because I do not have a college degree yet. Yeah, so I basically went for like any internship that I could get hold of. Yeah, so somehow I managed to do a few, several finance internships. One in the asset management company, another one in a VC venture capital. And Wait, um, just, in- just to ask you a question, right? Before this, do you have any like prior background or knowledge about the finance industry? Well, I do read a lot about finance because it was something that mm-hmm. interested me uh, throughout JC. But mm-hmm. I don't think I was like, uh, I'm definitely not as qualified as the finance like graduates in terms of job application. So I think I was very lucky to get those internships just by connections alone. And bear in mind, connection is actually very important for getting any internship in general. Yeah. So going back to those finance internship, I think those are very useful in terms of like giving me a more realistic and somehow more, how to say, not really dim. Yeah, but, but because it's realistic that, yeah, I become more aware of the downsides of like the finance industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I realized that finance is actually not something for me. So to be more specific, I realized that the finance industry in China is very different from the finance industries in developed countries. So in China, 
because a lot of the financial deals are still controlled in the hands of the uh, larger state-owned enterprises. So the uh, the foreign like investment banks and the financial institutions, they really don't get to do a lot of like things that are comparable to maybe the kind of deals they do in the U.S. Like for example, J.P. Morgan mm-hmm. is definitely very significant in the U.S. They have like top profile clients, but in China, they they still have to submit to like Chinese law and so Chinese mm-hmm. regulations, and they do not get to do what they want all the time. So I realized that I don't. I actually enjoy working in the finance industry in China because a lot of the small companies, they are really in a very marginalized position and they are doing all sorts of businesses that are quite unregulated. Yeah, Mm -hmm. because as we all know, uh, industries are very competitive in China and this forces a lot of companies to be like super profit driven that they do not Mm -hmm. have a very clear focus. Uh, a very clear like goal yeah and sometimes they might even be doing things that are kind of against like your moral values yeah like for example in the asset management company I found myself like somehow selling like not so credible like securities and bonds and things like that so even though I wasn't a finance student and I couldn't like understand like the, everything that was going on but I realized that it's definitely not as rosy as I thought mm-hmm. yeah and well, some people will argue that, you know, go to a better firm, maybe the experience is better. Well, uh, that is partially true, but it also depends on the exact circumstance you're in. Because in China, there is an access of labor and there's not so many jobs for everyone. Yeah, so mm-hmm. in the end, a lot of people end up in positions that uh, are kind of below their expectations. Yeah, like if you have if you have heard of the 996 culture, I think that is just another reflection of how like labor is not really being valued in China because there are simply so many people they are willing to work you know extra time for minimum pay. Mm-hmm. And for the finance industry, I think it's especially so because a lot of financial companies they they really kind of I think they kind of take advantage of the prestige that we associate with finance and really like exploit some of the uh, you know more innocent students who are you know just freshly came out of college i personally know friends who realize that they end up in like a finance position that that actually does not respect their work all the time does not respect their mm-hmm. labor i mean it just it doesn't just apply to finance but i think it lo- applies to a lot of companies in general especially the industries that have a, have a lot of prestige yeah like sometimes it goes both way like it's both our assumption yeah, that, that kind of shapes the experience we get in those companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah, but basically, uh, gap year, I realized I rule out finance in terms of my career. Yeah. yeah. And then when I got to college, yeah, I started computer science, like what I talked about just now. Yeah, I realized computer science is very fun. And I want to try out something related to that, like internship related to that. So I did an internship with OnePlus. Mm-hmm. And I think that experience was kind of, disappointing too like to be very frank about it because mm-hmm. I think I used to be naive in the sense that I thought that you know if you graduate with a CS degree then you definitely do CS for your work right <laughs> I mean so straightforward mm, yeah yeah but in reality I mean even for the people who have a CS degree there's a lot of like variation in terms of their coding ability like some mm. people they simply code very well that they don't even need a CS degree you know they can just go to a company and become a software developer because yeah. they, are, they are super talented and they can add value to, to that company. And then uh, some other people, I would say that most people, 
uh, they are not particularly like talented in coding, but they are able to scrape by with a good grade. I think that's mm -hmm. kind of like me, but I didn't realize this back then when I took <laughs> up the internship. So after I took the internship, the first thing I realized is that like not everyone in the coding department has a CS. If you'd like to hear more of these stories, be sure to stay tuned to our future episodes of Unity. And if you'd like to connect with more seniors and learn more about all things related to studying overseas, do feel free to join our UniBridge community on Telegram. You can find the link to our Telegram group on our Instagram page at unibridge underscore SG. So be sure to give us a follow. We'll see you guys in the next episode of our podcast. Bye. Thank you.